Um, this is not I unlike hate, Cube in a lot of ways. I hate actually. to do this, but I really have to go to the bathroom again. I'm having a bit. Are of a you situation. okay? Uh, no. You still I'm there? worried. I'm fine. I ate something that is not agreeing with me. I was trying to power through. It was not <laughs> happening. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, you are back on the show, and you live in San Diego, California. Cassidy Robinson, you live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and you say that like I have missed a bunch of shows lately. <laughs> well, we missed a show last week. A lot of things have, have happened since the last time we had a show. One of these things is I've been growing a beard I don't like this. And I had questions for you as a, I don't know what your facial hair situation is right now. We do this over Skype. I actually also have a beard currently, and it is, it's a pretty good one going right now. Yeah. Well, you've grown beards in the past. I know you're capable. This is the first time I've ever, because I've always been sort of timid about it. It's like, I'll get to the, like, I don't know, let's say five day mark of not shaving. And it's like, "Eh, do I want to do it? Do I really want to do it? Do I want to like be that person? And then I usually chicken out and just shave. Um, yeah, I mean it's it can be a commitment. Like once yeah. you go beard, it's hard to go back. Yeah, once everyone knows uh, you're consciously trying to grow a beard, not just lazy. But yeah, um, I, I never, Which I was never I don't quite know. sure if I had like the you know hold on you, the follicles for you, it. You bring up an interesting point. Is it worse? It, how is it worse to consciously like? actively being a, making a choice in how you look versus, oh, I'm just lazy. Well, yeah. So, you know, sometimes I'll just grow scruff, which is basically like beard light. I mean, that's what it is. But yeah, sometimes yeah. it'll just be there and you're like, this is sort of a look. <laughs> and then, which is really just like, I just forgot X amount of days on a real sure. shave or I'm too lazy or so, don't want to do it. But the question I had is, so there's uh-huh. a, the initial stage where it's like, is this even a thing? Do I really want to go through with it? Then you decide to. Mm-hmm. You push through. And then there's the this itches like hell, and I really don't know if I can do this. And then I'm past that yeah. I'm past that phase. Yes. I'm well, at this it, new there, it stage. comes around again. I'm sure it does. I'm at a new stage now where the beard itself feels um disembodied from from me, from my face. It feels like it's just kind of floating above my face oh, it's, it's it's a very that, weird feeling that might be an alien then <laughs> i don't have a beard uh, at all i have an alien on my face um is it is there a particular reason for bearded cassidy i don't know every time i went like like close to the edge i always got a lot of like 
positive reinforcement about it or people were like, oh, you should do that or you definitely should do that or whatever. And I was always like, eh, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm the same way with like bumper stickers, right? It's like, I just don't want to like. Okay, no, no, like, no, I just no, don't no. Wanna no, no, no. Be that guy, I guess, or the same with like tattoos. What? It's like, what, what, what do I really want to have on my body for the rest of my life? Oh my god! It's like you are so insane. <laughs> okay, first of all, it's not like that. And I was at always all. afraid that it wouldn't grow in right, which is funny okay. because I've waited so long to do it that now that it's growing, I realize like, oh shit, I got a lot of gray hair in my beard. It's already like aged. Okay, let's just let's move, move on. on to movie stuff. Let's I can't on. fix you. I I I I can't fix you, Cassidy. <laughs> You're insane. I'll send you beards a are not tattoos. I'll send you a picture of the beards progress. are not tattoos. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about <laughs> Zombieland Two Double Tap, and at the end of the program for our Netflix homework, we're also going to be talking about In the Tall Grass, the Netflix original, based on a, a novella. By Stephen King and his son, Joe Hill. And uh, before we get on to all of that, mm-hmm. uh, we got we got some fun stuff here. Let's let's do this. Um, friend of the show, Patrick, from the sh- uh, podcast uh, Almost Educational, he sent a voicemail. He just saw a movie he was really excited to talk about. And I guess we're the guys to talk about movies, too. So um, here is a voicemail from friend of the show, Patrick. Hello, Cassidy. Hello, Keith. This is Patrick with my review of Mr. America. I struggled with how to do this, to be quite honest with you. I feel like to properly explain this to you, I have to explain the entire universe that inhabits this film and where it came from. It comes from the mind of Tim Heidecker, who is from Tim and Eric, great show, good job, from Adult Swim, who launched another show called On Cinema, that was a web series for Adult Swim in 2011. And Adult Swim, I'm sorry, and On Cinema is essentially your podcast, but done with two psychopaths who don't talk about movies at all, but their own bizarre pedantic obsessions. And Tim Heidecker's character is even more bizarre because it's a fictionalized version of himself who is like all the worst aspects of America. He believes every conspiracy theory. He believes every targeted YouTube ad ad he sees. Uh, He treats his diabetes with flaxseed oil. And as the 11 seasons of the podcast and the web series progress, he becomes more and more unhinged. And they create this whole expanding universe, which is like the on-cinema universe. And it leads to Tim Heidecker's character kind of adopting this very, uh, like, Mike Cernovich-type scammy, alt-righty, just American huckster, where he creates his own vaping company. Now, this is way before the vaping scare now, years back. I think 2016 this happens. And he sells these infected pods to people in San Bernardino who end up dying from it. 19 people are killed. And then Adult Swim has a five-part series, which chronicles the trial in which he represents himself against the district attorney and gets off on a technicality. The film, Mr. America, is as if a documentary crew was filming Tim Heidecker post-trial. And Tim Heidecker post-trial decides to launch a campaign to become DA and oust the current DA from San Bernardino. The film itself is really just an hour and a half of Tim Heidecker's 
character, Tim Heidecker, running amok all across San Bernardino trying to become the DA. It's just a series of vignettes, essentially. But what it, I think it does is it captures Trumpianness and vulgar populism and American anti-intellectualism better than anything I've ever seen in terms of satire. I watched it twice on Amazon back-to-back. The first time, I just watched it for laughs. The second time, I kind of watched it, and I picked up on some of the things he's saying, some of the the characters he's parroting and aping. If you've ever seen any obnoxious, like, pseudo-political YouTube people, uh, you could see that reflected in this. There's obviously Donald Trump reflected in this. It's bizarre, and I don't know what it's who it's made for, other than me, who has seen 11 uh, you know, seasons of On Cinema and went to watch this. Uh, I did watch it with a couple of friends, and I had to explain for a half hour what we're going to watch. And then when we watched it, I tried to explain for a half hour afterward what they saw. They laughed at the parts that were funny. But I don't know what this is made for. And I think if you took like a, a greater um, bird's eye view of this, this is probably a better version of like the atomized entertainment landscape that is the 21st century. That like this film exists, that Magnolia Pictures released it, and it's on Amazon. I mean, it, it's it was, it's so bizarre. Not the film itself, but like where it comes from. That I don't even know if I explained it well enough. That's my review. If you've got, you know, six bucks and you've got an hour and a half to kill and you're generally interested in like uncomfortable cringe comedy and I don't know, um, broad political themes, this is a pretty good movie. All right. So <laughs> I, I don't anyway. know, I didn't know that much about this movie that he's talking about Miss, uh, Mr. America I think that's what it's called right yeah I I don't really know much about uh, the world of Tim Heidecker to be honest apparently I, it goes deep so I was yeah yeah and I, it was actually nice because I did see a trailer for this and I thought it looked funny mm-hmm. and I think Tim Heidecker is uh, I think he's a really good actor and um, I think he's a, he's actually a pretty decent musician, too. He has a, a pretty fun um, anti-Trump album called Too Dumb for Suicide. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I, I would give it a listen. Hashtag um, fun fact. Uh, both Tim Heidecker and uh, Eric Warheim were in somewhat notable screamo bands in the mid-90s. They had the Spock haircuts and everything. Huh, that's fun. Um, uh, I was never a huge fan of uh, Tim and Eric. No. Awesome show. Good job. I actively um, hated it. And yeah, and I think I, I it's taken me I a while I actually to kind might of come have, around to them because my impression of yeah. them for a long time was just these doofus stoners who made this nonsense comedy that was supposed to be funny because it was nonsensical. But now that I've like seen them do other of, things, I I like yeah. sort of warm to them. Uh, totally, I actually have quite a bit, and I think that I might have been being kind of a snob. I, I still don't think that Tim and Eric Awesome Show Good Job is like 
my personal aesthetic. Right. But I do think that they were kind of ahead of the time with like sort of meme culture. Oh, and, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I can't fault them for that. And, and I think I actually might be able to watch it with some appreciation that I didn't have when I was uh, younger and a little less open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, so... But either way, I think undeniably both of them are, are very talented. Uh, I, I actually have seen a trailer for this for Mr. Is that what's called Mr. America? Yeah. And I watched the trailer for it, too, after we got this review because I hadn't heard about it, actually. And um, it seems really interesting. I, I think I think sounds like I'd be from the, you know, the premise and everything of him running for this uh, uh, this city position in in where is it it's um san bernardino yeah or right I think so. right around I, there somewhere in the inland empire um it it seemed when i saw it i was like oh this is kind of you know like a sasha baron cohen mm-hmm. thing um and i generally do like that type of humor so it was definitely it was like on my radar and after hearing this endorsement from patrick i actually i kind of want to check out this I wasn't clear. Was it a show or was it a podcast? Oh, the movie he, review thing he did. Yeah, the, the 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 thing that Patrick. I wasn't totally clear on Patrick's backstory. Yeah, I wasn't. I, I guess I would have to look it up and and try and figure all that out. But yeah, I'm definitely either, I'm interested in in all of the above. I'm ne- I rarely pay for movies on Amazon. I think I maybe have once. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll you know I'll watch things on Prime or whatever, but. You know, I oh I'll, I'll rent a bitch. Yeah, I'm no. It, it's so weird because when we were younger, we would go to like Blockbuster or whatever, and you know, slap down four dollars to take a VHO, VHS home for like two days, and I had no problem with that at all. But when I'm when it's streaming, I'm like, maybe it's just I'm so used to not paying for streaming that I just feel ripped off. It. I mean, some cost more than others. I I don't have a problem with it. Yeah, I I think I might pony up and and give it a shot i'm definitely curious thank you patrick for sending us the email and if anybody wants to do that you you can either write us at uh mcguffinpod at gmail.com or you can also or you can do what he did and record yourself and send it as a wave or mp3 file and we can just um cut it right into the episode yeah we might have to do a um uh follow up on this if we end up both watching it absolutely uh, and share our thoughts so uh, yeah, thanks for putting that on our radar, Patrick. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our first segment. I recently watched, or rewatched, I should say, Beetlejuice twice. So, a friend of the show, Ashley, um, had never seen it before. And, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, so, we watched my Blu-ray copy of it something like two and a half weeks ago. And then we found out that uh, the luxury theater that's near where we live was showing it as like a retrospective deal on one of their weekends. So she really enjoyed it watching it with me. So we decided to go again and uh, saw it, you know, on, in a theater. Um, and it kind of got me thinking about Tim Burton. You know, that's we're near Halloween and it's the season. It's the season. It's the spooky. Is that your uh, Tim Burton? 
Okay. It's my Danny That's Elfman your Danny Elfman score. <laughs> score. Um, the MacGuffin Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were doing that. We watched We watched uh, Beetlejuice, and it got me thinking about his his uh, his uh, filmography in general because he's one of those directors. I think I want to say because I was a really little kid, and we watched and I watched the Batman movies all the time, and I was really obsessed with those early Batman movies um, that Tim Burton, like one of the first or the first director where I knew what a director was. Well, I mean, he, yeah, I, I think that a lot of, I think that a lot of people our age, uh, he's probably one of the first sort of auteurs that we recognize sure. because it, it, I mean, his style he, is not subtle. Yeah. And everything he does like has his signature, you know, all over it for, sure. uh, for better and for worse. oftentimes yes. for worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and yeah, so it kind of got me thinking about it in, uh, in those terms. And uh, there's a segment we used to do every once in a while called um, over under, uh, which I ripped off of uh, at the movies. Um, hey, from- you don't got, you don't got to give them fucking credit. <laughs> but, it's fine. Uh, I, I complicate Fuck it, a little this bit. Is so- podcast. This is, this is the wild west of content, Cassidy. Fuck them. <laughs> Fuck A.O. Scott and Michael Phillips uh, when they were doing at the movies for a couple years. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so we, we're going to talk about um, what we think in four categories is Tim Burton's best movie. What is Tim Burton's worst movie? Uh, what is his most overrated film? And what is his most underrated film? And those can be four different answers. Um so I'm kind of shooting off the hip here. I actually don't have these written down, so I'm kind of looking at it on IMDb right now. But I'll let you start, and we'll start with the category overrated. What is the most overrated? Oh fuck, that's I think the hardest one um, because A little I bit, think isn't it? I I think the thing one of the things with Tim Burton is generally his his movies that aren't good, mm-hmm. and there are a few. Um, generally don't get hyped up they don't get a lot of respect i I think people are pretty honest with his movies usually Mm -hmm. so i think one that's overrated is 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 a little harder um i also will say that for me personally i'm going to exclude movies that i haven't seen so i i'm not doing it Yeah. yeah i'm not making my decision based solely off of like you know, what I perceive the cultural response. Yeah, I have no opinion uh, on Miss Pennigree's Home for P- Peculiar Children, because I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, actually, I have seen most of his stuff. There's, I think, yeah, just that and uh, Alice in Wonderland I didn't see. Uh, also, I want to be clear up front uh, that we are excluding... The Nightmare Before Christmas, yes. because he did not direct it. Uh, a lot of people, you know, he produced it. It definitely has his style over it. Yeah, uh, he, he's, he was definitely an artistic contributor, um, but it was directed by Henry Selick. Yes. So, if you're, like, screaming at the podcast, like, Where's Nightmare Before Christmas? That's why uh, he didn't actually direct it. Um, okay, so his most overrated i'm actually gonna i'm gonna go in a similar direction as nightmare before christmas Mm. and i'm gonna say the corpse bride 
Oh, really? Okay. Uh, I feel like this one is neither under or overrated. I feel like this one is rated almost exactly appropriately. Um, I think it maybe gets, I just don't I know a lot gets, of like Corpse Bride stands, but yeah, I I don't think there's a lot, but I do think it gets a little bit of um. Nightmare Before Christmas bleed off fandom. Sure, it's the nightmare um, the Nightmare Before Christmas sequel that everybody wanted, but um, yeah, yeah. but it, it but so that's why it's everyone I'm going to say it's yeah, that's why I'm going to say it's uh, overrated. I think the story isn't as it's not as clear as Nightmare Before Christmas, mm-hmm. um, and it feels very. This sort of feels like the beginning of Tim Burton as a tryhard for me. Mm. Um, yeah. And generally the music is really forgettable. Totally. And not great. And it just, this movie really didn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's terrible, but I don't think it's really deserving of, of any really much acclaim. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's why I'm going to say it's overrated. I think it gets... A little bit of residual love uh, based purely on style. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's beautifully animated, um, especially yes. if you watch it next to Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, you can see, like, the progression. Nightmare Before Christmas, like, a good 10 years earlier. Um, you can see the progression that they've been able to do in in stop-motion animation. And it's, sure. it's seamless. Yeah. I- um, but yeah, it's and, and maybe so it deserves- drab. It's like it's pretty boring. The story has very few stakes. Like I, I'm not a big fan of it at all. Um, yeah, but it feels like it's not for any Coco lack of without- trying. It doesn't feel cynical at all. It just feels no, like it, it. Just feels it feels like. But that's what I mean when I say try hard. Yeah, like it feels like ooh, I have to make a Tim Burton movie. Like it just right. It doesn't feel cynical. It just doesn't feel like it has any of his like just kind of uninspired. He had yeah, like it. You know, he has an incredible run in the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, and this is sort of like to me when it's when it becomes completely marketable to be Tim Burton. So I just that yeah. That's what I, my answer is. I, I think it's a little not super exciting. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with something sort of around the same era, and that is uh, Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet yeah. Street. Now, this is the difference between the Corpse Bride, which I feel like everyone more or less feels the way we just felt or uh, expressed ourselves about um, that movie. Um, I feel very mm. differently about Sweeney Todd. I feel like when this movie came out, people were really into it. People re- like, you know, people were dressing up and like and for Halloween. And like, I remember like, you know, it always being sort of mentioned amongst Tim Burton's best films. This is before people were totally sick of Johnny Depp. And to before me, he was, as the kids say, canceled. Well, I meant, I mean, you know, beyond that, no. I I meant just generally, like, him being overused. But to me, this was, like, kind of when both Johnny Depp and Tim Burton were becoming a little predictable. And yeah. that, that dynamic was not as exciting as it used to be. And kind of like Corpse Bride, it was, like, he was leaning into the style, not because... 
he wanted to express himself in any artistic way, but just because he had to put the stuff he's known for in the movie. Um, yeah. Now, I know there are people who are big fans of the musical. Uh, it's Sondheim, right? Mm-hmm. I want to say. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, and I know that there are certain like theater people who were really... Oh, yeah. There are, when, there are theater people who are really into it because they love the musical, and there's theater people who really hate it because they're into the musical. Um, and I... Yeah, I mean, this came out just a little bit after we graduated. We... Might have been I, in high school. I'm not sure if I was... No, this was 2007. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know if I was back in college yet, but a, a lot of my friends were theater people in high school and mm-hmm. college. And so, yes, this this one was really popular amongst the theater crowd. Right. Um, was it that popular outside of that crowd? I'm not sure. I, um, I, I guess mean, I so. I think it is. Like, I see it. You still see it. Like, people talk about it online and stuff. And, like, when they talk about Tim Burton or they have, like, you know, a, compl- a picture, like a whatever of like his greatest hits or whatever you always see stuff about Sweeney Todd and yeah just as a movie I just didn't leave that much of an impression on me I like the music um but that you know came from the musical uh yeah I don't know you're also sort of a grump there's not many uh I can't think of many if any stage musical adaptation movies that you like um, I love, I love, uh, Cabaret. Okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, but I agree with you. I remember when I was very excited for this, when it came mm-hmm. out and I remember seeing it and there was something about it that it didn't feel like he captured the sense of humor correctly. Yeah. Uh, to me, um, it felt a little too sort of drab and melodramatic like i felt like a lot of the intentional jokes were missed i don't know i remember being underwhelmed by it but yeah also here i again i kind of like corpse bride i didn't think it was a total failure i just didn't get anything from it and it didn't it didn't seem fun as it should have been okay let's move on to uh underrated sure well, I mean, Why don't you start? For underrated. Yeah. Now, this is actually, uh, to me, this is the most difficult. Because. Oh, this is, this one. His, uh, his catalog is constantly sort of, between sort of being reevaluated. Um, I'm going to say. I, I have two answers, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to say, for me, it's Batman Returns. Um, everybody sort of acknowledges oh, okay. that 1989 right. Batman is iconic and great and changed the game forever and whatever. It stands up on its own, not only as a Tim Burton film, but as just a, a chapter in the book of superhero cinema. Um, mm-hmm. Less people acknowledge that about Batman Returns. Uh, a lot of people, I think, sort of see it as a bridge to the Schumacher era. Like, it's just sort of there. Um, and I think some people like it more than well, others, and, but, uh, and everything is heightened from the first, like sure. the first one is, it, it is, it's definitely a Tim Burton movie, but it is a little more subdued. Mm-hmm. It is, he is trying to make this comic booky feel, whereas Batman Returns is like a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it was the first film he made after Edward Scissorhands and you can really tell. Uh, it's. I would say it's more of a Tim Burton film than it is a Batman film, even. But I sort of love it, 
And on if, if you ask me on certain days, I might tell you it's my favorite Batman movie. Everybody is great in it. And it's one of those movies where because it came out in 1992 and people didn't really think about it in those terms, but you watch the film now just as a you know, and you just look at the performances, with the exception of Michael Keaton, who's just kind of holding his own. But uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and and Danny DeVito are giving like powerhouse performances in that movie, and oh, the yeah. dialogue I, I is hilarious. Actually, it's so it, it is like a, a superhero version of Gilmore Girls. Uh, ugh, it's like so fast and quippy <laughs> for most of it. Well, the the guy who, but in a in a really good way. <laughs> rather, the the guy who wrote the screenplay was the same guy who wrote Heather's. Oh yeah, that makes a lot of yeah. sense. Uh, so th- um, there's a lot. So I actually a lot of one liners. I sort of have come around uh, to to your thinking on this one. I, for the longest time, the '89 Batman was my favorite, mm-hmm. um, and then recently rewatching all the Batman movies, I was like, you know what? Batman Returns is where it's at. I I still love the 89 Batman, but it's a little slower. It's a little clunkier. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I mean, Jack Nicholson's great. uh, Keaton's great. But there's kind of a drag in the middle where not a lot (laughs) happens. Right. And, like, the Vicky Vale stuff gets kind of boring and, and drawn out. Whereas, like, Batman Returns is just it just pops like it's so fun from beginning to end and it is uh you know the bat suit fits a little tighter the the villains are a little sleeker a little everything's a little shinier i mean it just feels like it's got that polish yeah uh yeah and it it it, it, well you could tell that like tim burton was kind of like okay i made one for you guys now i'm gonna make one for me um and so it's well, just and, and a he was little just bit a more lot confidently more. in his style. Um, so yeah, it, it's 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 fucking great. All right, well, let's go uh, to. I, uh, uh, I haven't given my underrated. Oh yes, yet. go ahead. Um, so I actually was kind of torn between two, but I'm going to go with this one because I sometimes even forget that it's a Tim Burton movie. Nobody ever talks about it, uh, and it's fucking brilliant uh i'm talking about mars attacks that's a good answer uh, yeah i i don't feel like i feel like this movie kind of gets just forgotten about within his canon mm-hmm. uh and i think it is one of his silliest and zaniest movies yeah. before it becomes like obnoxious right uh and it it came out in the like, again sort of this perfect timing i think uh you know late 90s after we've had a few alien invasion movies Mm -hmm. um really uh poking fun at the tropes of that Mm -hmm. and uh kind of like batman returns this movie's just so funny and so quotable right uh it's also got some fucked up shit in it (laughs) (laughs) uh like it's it's sort of a sneaky horror movie that that has some genuine genuinely pretty creepy parts uh, and stuff that like kind of stuck to my guts as a kid. Okay. Uh, like particularly like I, I the scene where Jack Black like gets fucking melted right. holding the American flag. <laughs> like it's it's both funny and horrifying. <laughs> I think every great director gets their one like. I mean, depending on what kind of director they are, anyway. 
but let's say it's mm. a director that has sort of like a, a vice grip on every prop that's placed in any particular shot. Every one of those kind of directors gets one anarchic movie where they just like throw yeah. everything at the wall and see what sticks. And that's this totally. is his. Yeah, I mean, fucking Sarah Jessica Parker's head gets put on a dog. Right. <laughs> like, this movie's insane, but it's, I think, really fun. And, and, and the cast I think it doesn't is insane. Get, like, who? The, oh, my God. Yeah, it's movie. a murderer's row of 90s superstars. Also, mm-hmm. uh, I think a career high note for Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, plays he two plays two roles. Yeah, he plays the president, um, which. I uh, his scene his monologue uh where he confronts the Martian leader I think is just pure brilliance mm-hmm. from like that scene just from start to finish is great is yeah a masterstroke like uh it it has notes of um Doctor Strangelove I think oh <laughs> and a few more than notes yeah Ooh, like, yeah pretty yeah. obvious uh, but that that scene in particular. Yeah, and he also plays this uh, old, uh, washed-up alcoholic gambler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's bizarre, but very fun. Um, yeah, so I'm going to say that is my most, I think, underrated Tim Burton movie. Yeah, that's uh, entirely valid. All right, uh, let's, let's okay. go now to worst, the worst Tim Burton film, and I'll let you start on that one. All right, okay. I think a lot of people would probably say the 2001 Planet of the Apes, uh, but I'm not going to. I'm going to say the movie that I – I think it's the only movie of his that I completely cannot stand any aspect of. Uh, I hated Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> I fucking hated it. I think it's a gross movie. I uh, Johnny Depp, it, it just – I want to punch him in the fucking face in this movie. Uh, everything is so just too much and and not enough of what I wanted. The fucking Oompa Loompa songs are like weird. Mm-hmm. It's just weird. I just I don't like it. I don't really like anything about this movie. Uh, I don't care that it may or may not be closer to the book than the original and maybe that's where some of this hate is coming from is that it is definitely not the original with um gene wilder uh, i can't blame yeah gene wilder uh but i just i don't like this movie at all i think it's i think it is an assault on the senses (laughs) okay um yeah this is this is uh i never saw it i can't say i don't have an opinion about it um i didn't hear enough good things to to see it, and I was such a big fan of the Gene Wilder film that I didn't want it to ruin that that experience for me. I d- I didn't even want to like invite that sort of hatred in my life, so I avoided it. Um, I still sort I of meant mean- to. I I've always meant to sort of catch up with it because now I'm not as emotionally invested, but. Uh, but yeah, I didn't I like think, the idea I when, think, it, when I when it came out. Yeah, I think at this point it's probably far enough behind us that you could probably watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have no urge of watching it ever again, I, and I, I think a big part of it 
is I just think that Johnny Depp as Willy Wonka is so off the mark for what I want from that character. It's just, it also, this movie is like the beginning of the Johnny Depp try hard phase for me. Well, I guess he did the pirates movies after this, right? I don't know. It's with the, it's somewhere um, bundled in that. Yeah. I, I mean, this was, yeah, I, I, I understand that, that sentiment. And, you know, he, yeah. he was going for something. He, he, he tried to, he used, it was a choice. Um, yeah, yeah. But, oh, this was, okay. So this was just after the first pirate. So yeah. I actually was probably, I think probably with the rest of the world, I was like Johnny Depp and everything forever. And then I saw this and I was like, Ooh, maybe not actually. Oh. <laughs> uh, let's, let's maybe take a Johnny Depp break and uh, we still have it <laughs> as a culture. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't like anything about this movie. I think it's, it's just not good. And it feels to me, it feels very cynical. It feels very like, it just feels so marketed. Uh-huh. Anyway, what do you think is Tim Burton's worst movie that you have seen? Uh, my least favorite Tim Burton movie with a bullet Alice in Wonderland. Um, yeah. Like I I remember not really like having a ton of anticipation for the movie, but I was like, Oh, well, you know, we'll see. Um, it's not the worst idea than Tim Burton doing an Alice in Wonderland thing. And I was, and it's, it's less so it's horribly written. It's very cynically put together. This was kind of the beginning of like the live action Disney remake thing that we're still living through now but it's not it's kind of like it's kind of like alice in wonderland's return to oz but shitty um yeah because it's not it's not really it's um, not like the lewis carroll story where alice like enters wonderland and then this is like presupposes that that already happened and she's coming back to wonderland and wonderland's been taken over by a new queen and da 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 so it's 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 whatever but um, yeah, I don't know. By the, by the end of the movie, she's like fighting a dragon and you're like, why is this happening? It's kind of all over the place. Tonally, it's just very off. It's like joyless and, and this, it's mm-hmm. almost entirely CGI. So nothing like, you know, one of the fun things about a good timber and film is like, you get to see all the cool, like architecture and, and set design and that kind of stuff. And it, this is all just like ones and zeros floating all over the place. Um, so yeah, uh, Alice in Wonderland is, uh, my least favorite easily. Okay. Um, so why don't you tell me what your favorite Johnny, uh, <laughs> Freudian, Freudian slip. slip there, what your favorite Tim Burton movie is. Yes. And this is a tough one too, because you want to give a good yeah. answer. You know, yeah, and again, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be personal favorite. It can be what you think is his best work, right? Right, because there's probably some of these I've seen more than others, but I would not necessarily say is his best. I feel like this is the this is the douchebag answer, but I'm just gonna be that guy. I'm gonna say Ed Wood, and you know, this is like like the reason why I say it's the douchebag answer is because it's critically lauded. You know, there was Oscars that were, you know, uh, uh, given out for this film, or, or at the very least nominated. 
And uh, Martin Landau specifically, I think he was nominated or might have even won for his portrayal of uh, elderly Bela Lugosi. Um, this also is one of the lower budgeted uh, Tim Burton films at this period of his career, because this is right like in the middle of the hot streak where he could, you know, he could uh, go on set and then demand where the sun rises and falls. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at this point in his career, after doing all these franchise movies, after doing the Batman films, and after doing, you know, this kind of more auteur personal work with, with, uh, with like Edward Scissorhands and whatnot. Um, here he makes a biographical comedy in black and white about a B film director from the 50s. Um, well, that, I, you know, sort of indirectly that, was an influence on him. Yeah, I think that's probably why this movie resonates with people is because it I mean well, you especially can, like movie geeks yeah but I mean I mean even beyond that like I feel like people even non-movie geeks I think anyone could watch this movie and you can feel how much love that Tim Burton has for this like you know it's right. I think you know this uh I, I think people felt similarly about the disaster artist when that came out. Uh, and that, you know, it got mm-hmm. a lot of acclaim for that. Um, but I, I don't think it's a douchebag answer at all. I think this is a great movie. It's, uh, I think it's, one well, this of is Johnny- kind of like Tim Burton's, this is like Tim Burton's, uh, Jackie Brown in that way, where it's like, it's the one that not a lot of people have seen. And it's the one that, um, isn't the most like apparent of his work, mm-hmm. but it's the one that filmy people will say is their favorite. It's because it's the one they're allowed to like. Uh, I, I think, I, I mean, yeah, I'm all of what you're saying is true, but I don't think that's necessarily, that's not a reason to disclude it. Like it is, it is genuinely no, a no, really good I, movie. Like it's, uh, I think it's one of Johnny right. Depp's best performances. Martin Landau is mm-hmm. brilliant. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's such a, and again, it's just uh, it's so heartfelt and genuine. Right, it, and it has like great overarching theme. Of, I mean, yeah, it's a movie about movies, and it's a movie about old Hollywood and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a movie about um, finding your family. Like like sort of a island of misfits toys kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Uh, finding an adopted family. I think that's. Yeah, I I agree with you completely. I think it's 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 just a gorgeous little movie and and um yeah and really fun and I will forever. I I, I it's funny um. Uh, I was just talking about this on Twitter, uh, but I will, I forever say to myself, just out of nowhere, if something like frustrates me or whatever, or like stub my toe or, or something dumb like that, I will go, Boris <laughs> Garloff is a cocksucker. <laughs> like, like, and I haven't seen this movie in like a decade. Like, it's been a long time since I've watched right. it, but it just like it sticks with you. I, I think it, st- it sticks with you in a way that like, Sort of like a uh, uh, Man on the Moon, uh, the Andy Kaufman movie we talked about not too long ago. Um, hmm. I think it's just one of those things where it was like the right people making the right movie at the right time. 
Absolutely. Uh, what about you? What is your favorite Tim um, film? I, I actually was probably going to say Ed Wood, but since you already said it, um, uh, I, I was almost going to use this answer for my most underrated, so I'll, I'll just use it for this. Uh, Big Fish. I think, uh, yeah. again, I I really like a, a very sincere Tim Burton. Um, I, I, I like it when he's not trying to be flashy, when he's not trying to be... Uh, when he when he's not selling the movie on, on solely on style, which I mean, Big Fish it does have its its moments for sure. Um, but again, yeah. I think this is one of those movies that the more sort of simple the story, the more he can make those moments lush uh, and really stand out. And it's just like I think a really beautiful story about a. a you know about a, a son trying to understand his father at the, at, at the heart of it, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I you know I have always had some dad issues in my life, so this movie always stuck out to me. Um, yeah, I mm-hmm. just think it's uh, uh, really beautiful, and and I don't think it necessarily gets the love it deserves. Um, no, yeah, I remember you know when this movie came out. And it was definitely, it seemed like to me that this was Tim Burton sort of overtly trying a more sort of prestige version of Mm -hmm. himself. Like, he still applied everything that he's known for in the movie. Um, And he's unmistakably a Tim Burton film. But it was like he was kind of going for a sort of emotional thing that that he would usually be embarrassed to do. Sure, yeah. Or at least embarrassed to do on purpose. And going back to Tarantino, I guess, um, he Tarantino once said of directors who lose their way, where at a certain point in their career, they quit making interesting work and why that might mm-hmm. be. Um, and he said it's usually because of one film, where a director reaches out and puts himself out there in a big way, and it is neither critically or commercially successful. And then after that point, they kind of give up and just start doing star vehicles or whatever. And that's kind. Of, and I feel like this is that film for Tim Burton. Now I think since then, he's had moments of interesting work. Um, but there was a while there, and we've talked about a lot of those movies where he was just kind of pumping out trash, yeah, basically, yeah. just like you know, product with with his name on it. Um, and I and a lot of that I felt like was still sort of a a reaction to to you know the sort of a attempt at maturity with Big Fish that he wasn't appreciated yeah. for. I I agree completely. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's definitely in at least in the same conversation as Ed Wood and uh, Edward Scissorhands. Like I think uh, yeah. those movies all kind of are sort of his more prestigious uh, accomplishments. Um, and, and I think you could sure. make a hell of a case for Edward Scissorhands uh, being in the same category of, of one of his best movies. Yeah. Um, as well as Beetlejuice. I think Beetlejuice is kind of like his his first, like, I mean, obviously his first actual film. Oh, fuck, was, yeah. He's Big Adventure. Yeah, but, of course. But Beetlejuice is, I think, like, like sort of his, like, kick down the door, here I am. And then... Yeah, you know, some of these other ones that we've been I, talking about. For but some reason, I, I think it's because you talked about 
screening it with uh, Ashley, but for some Ooh. reason I felt like we had already talked about Beetlejuice, but um, yeah, I mean, Beetlejuice is, is I would say... <laughs> Are you changing your answer now? No, I, I still think Big Fish or Ed Wood is probably one of his best, um, but I think mm-hmm. Beetlejuice is probably my personal favorite. Um, I mean, it's endlessly rewatchable, it's, and it's so much and, fun. And, and it's so exactly. inventive. And it's just so ballsy. Like you that movie would just never get made now. No, and and I hope I, I hope all the rumors of a sequel, I'm like, just don't like yeah, I, I don't, I need, don't it. need it in my life. Uh, but going back to Big Fish, yeah, I really like that movie a lot. It's I think it's it's his most emotional work. Um I I do think it gets a little unwieldy uh in places, and there's a few too many ideas. Um, but it's all um, with good intention. Yes. All right. <laughs> well, that was a lot of Tim Burton talk. Let's go ahead and move on to the reviews. And we're going to start here with uh, Zombieland Double Tap. Uh, do you want me to sum that up? Sure. All right. So Zombieland Double Tap is the long-awaited sequel of the 2009 film uh, by Ruben Fleischer. And it's uh, written by... Uh, let me look. Uh, Re- uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who also wrote the Deadpool movies somewhat recently, and uh, this sort of follows up with the characters that we got to know in the first film, played by Woody Harrelson and uh, Jesse Eisenberg, Tallahassee and Columbus, their characters' names, uh, Emma Stone and Abigail Breslin, Wichita and Little Rock, respectively. Um, they are now, you know, however many years later, ten years later, have sort of developed a sort of family unit of which some of them are more comfortable in, in the dynamics that have evolved and some are less Uh, specifically Wichita and Little Rock um, who are getting an inch for independence again. So uh, after a few things sort of shake it up, um, they end up taking off um, at which point, uh, Little Rock, played by Abigail Breslin, um, who's the youngest of the group. She uh, leaves on her own, solo, to find a hippie commune where supposedly there's no guns and no violence and everyone's living in peace. And the rest of the group has to sort of come back together and find where she is before she gets killed. And they run into new characters, some of which we've never met before. So, uh, yeah, Zombieland 2, what did you think of it? So, it's been 10 years since the first Zombieland mm-hmm. came out. I remember liking the first Zombieland. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't I don't really remember it, to be honest. I, you know, I, like, I remember the Bill Murray thing. Um, I remember some other jokes, but it's, it's not one that I revisit. Um... So sure. Yeah. Uh, so I guess this movie made me wonder if I still like the first one. Um, <laughs> I wasn't super into it. I feel like, and maybe it's just sort of like the time we're living in now. But I felt like I. I mean, so first of all, I this movie just kind of throws you into it. And I don't really remember a lot of the characters or what their thing is. Like, you know, I kind of remember Woody Harrelson and, uh, you know, I remember just Jesse Eisenberg and his rules and stuff. 
But I feel like this, like a lot of the jokes in this, uh, and this movie is, you know, uh, like the first one, it's comedy. It's definitely going for jokes. But a lot of them yeah. in this feel so jokey and, and feel kind of basic. Like, uh, you have a lot of jokes where Woody Harrelson's like, I hate hippies and give me my guns and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just kind of like sitting there watching it going, okay. You know, um, they uh-huh. introduce this new character, Madison, who is, uh, I, I think the actor who plays her is was really good. And I think she actually has some genuinely pretty funny moments. Um, but it felt like. Yeah, Zoe Deutsch, right? Yeah, That's her name. Zoe, Deutsch, Dutch, Zoe Dutch. Uh, and, but it felt like they threw her in to just sort of like yeah well let's make fun of millennials like what would it be like if millennials were in the zombie apocalypse and i was like okay like but again she also has some genuinely pretty funny moments and i I found myself liking her character sort of despite how they were treating her (laughs) um right i had a lot of feelings about that character because i thought that the character itself like even though the i was I could respect the actress for yeah. committing to the to the choices so hard. Yeah. Um, but I thought the character itself was pretty obnoxious. Well, and I was having a hard time with just dealing with that for a and while. And it was so... And then I thought the character is so obnoxious and so over-the-top stupid that it must be a red herring. Obviously, she's going to turn on them, and it, she's going to end up being this evil genius. And that was, this was a, and then the movie doesn't do that, and I'm like, okay, so then is this just needlessly sexist? Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's that's very much how a lot of. And then that actually made me sympathetic to her character once she was in the film for even longer. Exactly. Yeah. No, no I, so I, I, I had this weird like up and down journey with her. I agree completely, and I think ultimately. It just sort of feels like, basically, I think it can be chalked up to some pretty lazy writing. Um, But I think that the actor does a a good job with making you care with, you know, with what, with what she's given. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, but generally, that's sort of how the whole movie felt for me. Like, there would be, you know, certain jokes that would click and I thought were, you know, pretty funny. Like, uh, I did enjoy... Um, Thomas Middleditch and Luke Wilson's little cameo. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. I was actually it was it's cut a little short, um, and I was hoping that that dynamic would play out a little. Longer. Yeah, I well, so that's what frustrated me about this this movie was it felt like every time they started to like reach some good character humor. It got cut short, mm-hmm. and then they would throw ten more dumb jokes at me, and I was like, "I don't, I don't want that." Like, like Emma Stone's character in this, like, they completely. Again, I I don't remember the first one a lot, but they give her so little to work with in this. I don't know. It felt it felt weird. Like, basically, I wasn't super into this movie. Yeah, I think I was in, into it a little bit more than you were. I felt like, because here's the thing, I when the first one came out in 2009, this was like, 
I, I wrote my review for this already, and I think the you know somewhere in the first paragraph I wrote that uh, this movie came out ten years ago, but it might as well have come out a hundred years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the the the, sh- the landscape of like horror and comedy has changed so much since then. Um, and like you know the zombie thing is like very yesterday. It's like we we don't really like it's not that exciting anymore. It's not that novel. Um, so that's sort of whatever. Uh, so like, you, you know, originally like when the first zombie land came out and the whole thing is sort of built around this concept of like these rules to live by in the zombie apocalypse. These were like conversations that were happening in, happening in dorms around mm. America. So there was a little bit of something to tap into there. Now we're kind of over that. Or at least I am. No, I don't think and it's just you. <laughs> yeah, culturally speaking, you know, I think we've been zombied out. And so a, a zombie parody that's that on the nose, I don't know, really demands more. Well, exa- exactly. So there. I feel like if you're going to approach a sequel, uh, what a, a lot of what made the first one was so good was it was like it, it was fresh. It was this new take on this genre that had sort of felt played out. Uh, even in 2009, we were like on the... Even then, though, I felt like with Zombieland, it was kind of like, oh, the zombie thing is entirely mainstream now. Yeah, absolutely. But that's that was kind of the point of it, where in this one, you don't have that. So I felt like they kind of needed to approach it from a new angle, and they really don't. Uh, and I think that's sort of my... No, it is. it is definitely more of the same. But I, th- I don't think necessarily in a bad way. I think it's, to me, this feels like one of those crowdfunded sequels that nobody asked for except for the super fans. Yeah. That they, that gets like a, a small release, like like the uh, Veronica Mars movie or whatever. Yeah. Um, or like the extra seasons of Arrested Development that barely anybody watched. Uh, that's what this feels like. It's, it's like, yeah. this is so for a fan base that is specifically just wanting to see these characters do stuff and be fun together. And I think as a hangout movie, if you're not that invested in like the plot, because the plot's the least interesting thing about the movie. Yeah. But it, um, but it doesn't need to be my, in, and I get that that's not what this movie is necessarily going for. My problem with the movie was I largely found it to be pretty unfunny. Uh, see, I, see, I thought it was occasionally funny. Yeah, Not from it, the writing. It was occasionally funny. Uh, the writing, funny. I think, is generally lazy. But I do think that the I enjoy the actors and I enjoy their dynamics. And see, I think I, that they are they're doing good work together. I felt, sometimes I think there's some zaniness that's that works for me, like sort of towards the end uh, when we get to like the commune and stuff. That's fun. Um, see, to me, a lot of it. I wasn't I I don't really remember a lot of these characters and I felt yeah. like cuz I do remember them having chemistry in the first one I felt like there was sort of an absence of that here I I, I think you get it a little bit with uh uh Woody Harrelson and Emma Stone like they have a a, a thing to sort of bond over um their mm. their mutual hatred of Madison and you know some of that stuff I think works but Overall, I felt like the comedy was just kind of 
okay, I'm going to give you a take and, and let me know what you think with it. It felt sort of like boomer humor making fun of younger generations. Like, this felt like... It felt like a lot of the movie was from Woody Harrelson's character's perspective and was looking down on all the other characters. And it, to me, a lot of that just didn't work. Like, the the hippies are dumb. Like, he's a pacifist. I, oh, I hate him. Like, gag. Like, I didn't find it funny. I just found it, like, so base and broad. Uh, again, there, sure. are, there are moments that I do think work. Um but I think for the most part, it just felt like a lot of, to me, it felt like a lot of swings and misses. And I could feel them telegraphing most of the jokes. So it just, I, 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 I don't know. It, I think it sounds like I'm shitting on it more than I hated it. Because um, mm-hmm. I didn't hate it. I was fine with it. I think as far, so I think of any genre, comedies, you know, broad comedies like this are the hardest to sequelize. Yeah. Um, Because usually what makes a comedy work is, you know, yes, it's the writing. Yes, it's the acting. It's, but there's almost something kind of lightning in a bottle about a great comedy. Mm -hmm. And even Zombieland, the first one is not a great comedy. It's fine. But given how stale this IP is, and how nobody asked for the sequel, really, sure. other than I guess there is like a fanatic fan base out there for it. But, you know, basically nobody really, people kind of take or leave a Zombieland sequel at this point. Mm-hmm. I think it turned out better than I thought it would based on that. Because I was really, and this all has to do with expectations, I was really expecting far less. Um the fact that I felt that it was comparable to the first one, um, which maybe I remember a little better than you, I don't know. Uh, I thought meant that it was more or less a success. Do I ever have to see it again? No. But, it, you know, it was mildly enjoyable. Yeah, I again, I am sure the fans will like it. Uh, I mm-hmm. think, you know, if you were a huge fan of the first one, I think there is enough here for you. Um, you know, I think this is sort of a, a Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2 situation. Um, sure. Where just they're, th- they're bringing a lot to the table and not all of it works. Uh, but personally, again, I didn't hate it. Uh, there were some, you know, there were some jokes that I thought were pretty good. Uh, I think there were even more missed opportunities, though. Um, like, I think they yeah. s- set themselves up with stuff that had, like, no payoff. Sort of like the the, no, yeah. the Luke Wilson, Thomas Middleditch stuff, right? It was just sort of a cute scene. Uh, and, and I think that had they tried to stick with that, it could have actually led to something interesting. Like, instead of a one-off No, I agree. Joke. And I think that it does kind of show off the laziness of the writing a little bit, is that every time they would do something to complicate the characters, they would just, like, immediately the, the Etch-A-Sketch and get rid of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, what if we did this? Nah, never mind. Totally. Um, and, and there's... there's a, and that yeah. happened, like, four times in the movie. Exactly. So, I... Yeah. Uh, uh, overall, I... I think I'd probably give this a C+. 
B minus for me. Okay. Because, like I said, I once I, I kind of just enjoyed being there with those actors, kind of doing their thing. Um, sure. I, and I will say of the, of the two movies, this is the gorier of the two, and that was always one of the most like obnoxious things about the first one for me. It was like, yeah, everybody likes this movie because it's not scary. It's not scary. There's the zombies are like whatever. It's a, an afterthought in the movie, and they are kind of here too. And I we I guess I should say there's like a whole subplot about like zombies evolving and turning into super zombies, which they don't really do anything with. No, <laughs> that was but, another, uh, another frustrating thing. Like I thought that the joke with the homers was funny, um, sure. but yeah. but that was it. Like literally the other two. Like so it, early on in the movie they decide to start categorizing these zombies and they literally do nothing with this information yeah, uh, it's, it, it's just a visual gag except yeah. every once in a while there's yeah this joke with this certain dumb zombie but uh <laughs> literally the other zombies are all still just like zombies <laughs> right uh and they they build this idea up of these super zombies that like you know are impossible to kill you can shoot them multiple times and doesn't matter and then towards the end of the movie where you think that would actually kick in, it doesn't. It's just sort of there. So yeah, it's not great. Uh, and maybe I'm being a little too generous to it at this point because I, I walked out of the movie going like, well, that was a movie and it had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah, no, it, it did. And I'm glad that I saw... I will just say that like I, I'm not a fervent fan base of the first... I did like the first one, I think. <laughs> um... Uh, Generally, people did at the time, but I, but again, I stress at the time. Yeah, I I think it was a great movie that at the time it came out. But uh, mm-hmm. is it Shaun of the Dead? No, Not even close. No, no. Uh, <laughs> is, it is it Return it, of the Living Dead? No. Is it anything by Edgar Wright? Not even close. Yeah. Um. Here's the thing. Again, if you're a part of the fan base, I think there's enough there for you. I'll just say that I'm glad I saw it on a discount night. Yeah. You can watch it on video. Yeah, yeah. Wait for I think Redbox. I think I might have liked it more had I wa- waited for Netflix or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and move on to the Netflix homework now. Speaking of, and I will let you set up what happens in in the tall grass. Um, in the tall grass, uh, this uh brother and her sister um are. They're on the road. They're driving to San Diego. Hey, shout out to my hometown. Um, they're in the middle of a country, uh, like sort of Bible Belty, uh, middle of nowhere, two lane highway. Mm-hmm. They pull over to the side of the road um, and they hear this boy in the in this lo- field full of grass. Uh, screaming for help, screaming, you know, help me, help me, help me. Uh, they don't quite know what to do, uh, so they decide to go into the tall grass to to try and help this kid. Once they're there, um, they realize very quickly that they've lost their way. It seems as though something is happening with the grass or the land or or, or something. Uh, that seems like it's changing around them. Um, so they mm-hmm. get very disoriented very quickly and uh, get stuck. They get, they get lost in this grass. Uh, 
soon they they realize that they're not really trying to help this kid anymore. Um, they're just super freaked out trying to get back to their car. Um, during this time, they come across some other people who have also been stranded in this tall grass. Um, they eventually meet this kid uh, who sort of starts to explain some of the rules, like... Um, there's a body of his dead dog, and apparently the grass doesn't move dead things. They come across Patrick Wilson playing this former, like, youth pastor kind of guy. Uh, there's this other family that, that they realize is trapped in there. Weird stuff happens. Right. Uh, stuff gets weirder, and they're on some sort of time loop, life, death birth cycle uh right yeah this movie's really weird um and i don't think it really works for most of it <laughs> uh, oh really okay yeah i i feel like a lot of metaphor was lost and i i think it kind of becomes nonsense None of the these rules are ever really explained. You know, I feel like you don't really have a clear sense of what's going on. Uh, they do come across this like rock that we, we don't know what it does. It just sort of makes people go nuts. Um, mm-hmm. About the only thing I think this movie really had going for it was uh, Patrick Wilson's performance. Who? Yeah, he's chewing it up. Oh yeah, in 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 he's playing. This very, like, sort of typical Stephen King character of, like, this religious zealot, the zealot. who yeah. sort of loses his mind. It's stuff we've seen in other, I think, superior King adaptations, but it still works. I think it's, it's a, you know, I think there's sort of a reason he plays this trope over and over again. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, if you look at the movie, there's Kingian tropes all over it. Yeah. So this is basically like another one of those Stephen King bad place stories. Sure. Um, I mean, you have that, you know, kind of uh, typifying of like, you have the ancient Indian stuff, which is in a lot of his movies. Um, you have something that's, it's maybe implied, and it's ne- never like explicitly said, but I think it's sort of implied that the, that the rock that created this sort of weird um biosphere is um maybe not from earth like it might be like a meteor that landed there and then created some crazy stuff and that's like kind of similar to like it in a way like uh and sure i mean there's i think i I think you're putting a lot of stuff i think you're putting the finger on sort of what i what i had a problem with even tommy knockers had elements of that i just feel like that you can see all of these tropes play out in different movies, I think, probably better. Um, sure. And I, I just think my – so my big problem with it is I feel like there's just not enough to sort of ground me in this movie. It, it goes to, like, pretty weird pretty quick and never really takes the time to – like I feel like this movie's breaking its own rules a lot of the time. Uh, it, well, they're definitely not consistent with the rules. Exactly, and and I think that these are all sort of my problems with the movie. I think 
yeah, that it just, to me, it's, it has some creepy stuff. I think it has some cool ideas, but I Mm. think the movie itself was kind of a mess. I enjoyed it more than you did by, I would say by a lot. Unlike Zombieland 2, where we were kind of like in the ballpark of the same opinion. I feel like I got way more out of this than you did. I, I sort of liked that the, the rules sort of seem, I don't know. I was wound up a lot while watching this movie, sort of in frustration because (laughs) I was like, I was sort of in frustration because I felt like, you know, their car must be just like right over there. (laughs) Like like, at any given time, they're only 80 feet away from where they want to be. And they're just kind of walking in circles or something. You get get the feeling that they're almost like transported to like, to something else, to somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I mean, I felt that frustration. Like, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of when you're like parked in like a giant lot or something, and then you're just walking forever trying to find your car, and you're like, "This is insane! How do we not remember where we parked?" <laughs> yeah, um, it was like that kind of that sort of like visceral frustration that I felt from the movie in my head, and I, I felt that that was effective on some level. Um, yeah, I, and I, I mean, thought that I thought that the performances were pretty good all the all around. Um, I I enjoyed it on that, and it also like has that sort of Twilight Zone episode writ large uh, aspect to it. Yeah, I sort of like mo- movies that are like that. I, although I do think it overstays its welcome. Yeah, I, I think it's it's about um, ten to twenty minutes too long. I, I agree. well and. I agree with that completely, and I think that part of that is, you know, it's based off a novella. It's based off of a, you know, a shorter story. So I think, Mm -hmm. uh, and I was kind of reading at some of the differences between the novella and the the movie, just for curiosity's sake. Um, I haven't read it, so I can't say it's you know better or worse. But um, but you know, I do, I did get the feeling that some stuff was kind of padded for time. Uh, sure. It, it you know maybe drawn out unnecessarily. I I don't think this movie's terrible. Uh, it, it just I don't know. I think I think what you said is right. Of it just sort of feels like it overstays its welcome to me. Mm-hmm. Like I I can see how this type of story would work better as like a short story. Like I think yeah the optimum runtime for this would have been like forty five minutes. And I agree. Instead, it's like an hour and forty-five minutes. Uh, yeah, and and sometimes you feel that for for certain. Uh, I do agree with you that most of the actors were pretty good. I didn't like the brother, but I think it's just his face. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It just for the most part, I I felt like this movie was setting stuff up that that I was sort of frustrated. And I'm not. Nor- it didn't make sense, but I was. I'm okay with that because I felt like, and on some level, it's not supposed to. Like it's like this otherworldly, you know, sort of Lovecraftian terror. Uh, totally, and um, and I would I would equally hate it if they over-explained if, things. Yeah, I, I, if they had to hold our hand through it. I like. I kind of like that. Like. It's just this unexplainable, weird Greek hell they've stepped into, where they're just reliving this thing over and over again. No, I and I, it, you, you know, you're at some points you might even run into different versions of yourselves, and you're living in this looped timeline. Like all of that stuff, I thought, like on a sci-fi level, on a but, on a but then like what level. was the the point of the whole they don't move the dead thing? You know what I mean? Like, eh. I I feel like this movie is setting up 
mythology that ultimately doesn't matter for the story. And well, I think the idea was like if you have to be able to survive it in order to break the loop, and that's yeah. what they were setting up because but, you know that. But again, even but, even that isn't totally clear. Like I, I'm not. I don't have a problem that stuff is. Uh, is left open or, or that it doesn't necessarily I, I I don't want all the answers but I do mm-hmm. want something to ground me and I feel like that's what this movie was missing is is uh you you get a little bit of backstory with uh, the girl and her brother and the boyfriend like just just enough sometimes too much backstory and yeah. the stuff that didn't work for me it was, was like the weird uh, incest thing. Eh, that's fun. I don't mind that. Okay. Um, no, <laughs> for me, it was just like the like soap opera drama stuff. Like when when they're like stuck, you know, in this like yeah. hellish nightmare world and nothing makes sense and up is down and down is up. And, you know, they're just lost in this confusion when they start get bickering about like, well, you should have been there. And what happened? And you yeah, left her when she's pregnant. Gets- it's like, really? You're talking about this when like. You're living in a complete nightmare scenario? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I know that it was supposed to be like the stresses of of the situation was like bringing the stuff to the surface. But to me, it just felt like kind of it gets very lazily writer, like writerly in a way that like um, we have to come back to the themes. But it's like, no, you don't really have to. Yeah, it, it, all it, that it, stuff is there. It also gets a little like unnecessarily yelly yeah but uh especially like in in all these cases where they they want to not be found and then they start like punching each other out and stuff and maybe you could say like it's the the atmosphere that's like bringing the worst out in them and that kind of stuff and there's an argument for that but um yeah that's the stuff that bugged me the most it's just sometimes the dialogue was a little too silly uh but I thought I, I kind of enjoyed this as like a fun, quirky, um, you know, weird sort of what if scenario horror film. Uh, I thought that it kind of worked. I, like I, di- I didn't I, I wasn't in love with it. I think you um, could do I, worse for sure. But I I guess I wanted something more. I don't know. So I thought it was directed fairly well. This is a sure. Uh, adapted and uh, directed by Vincenzo Natale, who also did the films um, Cube and Splice. So I, He's a Canadian filmmaker. This film is not unlike Cube in some ways. I mean, I do think this movie looks good. Uh, it mm-hmm. is, it's shot really well. Um, there are moments of, like I said, I really like pretty much all the stuff with Patrick Wilson's character. Um, and and the climax of the movie does have some like whoa what the fuck uh, they went right. there moments and I do appreciate that but overall I just I didn't really feel connected enough to really care I I was I, I don't know it just it didn't have sort of the same quality to to me to sort of keep hold of my attention. Yeah, I would say in the grand scheme of, like, Stephen King adaptations, it's smack dab in the middle. It's neither the best nor worse. Sure, Um yeah. Especially, like, some, if you look at, like, some of the made-for-TV stuff, that was pretty god-awful. 
Uh, this is definitely not the Legionnaires, you know. <laughs> but it, yeah, is it like The Shining? No, like it's 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 not an instant classic or anything like that. But I think as far as like a made for Netflix movie, um, it's okay. It's a decent little horror film, and my biggest complaint with it, I think, actually is uh the sound design is really weird like there's like um like howling wolves and stuff in the background it's like well that that's just there for no reason yeah yeah i don't know like i said i think it's there was something about it that just felt really clunky and and awkward to me uh awkward yes i I would say i'd say that's fair sometimes and i think that mostly comes from the fact that they're turning what should have been a short film into a into a feature and they're trying to sort of, I think, fluff out this mythology that that doesn't have it doesn't have the the sort of backbone structure that like you know Pennywise has with the turtle on the back and the the the. Well, I don't need all of that. In fact, I probably need even less than what they gave us. No, I I mean. I don't necessarily need the mythology all laid out for me, but I feel like the movie's just sort of making it up as it goes. Versus, sure, but I feel like we're also supposed to be in the heads of the characters who don't understand either. So you're sort of learning as they learn. I thought it. I thought it was fine. I I didn't love it or hate it. I thought it was it was pretty watchable. Yeah, I guess it was. It all was right. whatever. I was a little disappointed by it. Um, the movie I'm going to have us watch next week for the Netflix homework, The Eyes of My Mother. Okay. The Eyes of My Mother. I saw a trailer for this a long time ago, and it looked really cool, and I never got to see it. But it's been on Netflix for a little while, and uh, we'll go ahead and talk about that as our last, like, October Netflix uh, recommendation. Um, and if anybody has anything to say about all the things we talked about in this episode, you can uh, contact us at our email at uh, mcguffinpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on social media on twitter at mcguffinpod and on instagram at mcguffinpod and on facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod um you can see the articles that i write every so often for the idaho state journal at the idaho state journal's website and under the arts and entertainment section and they have a movie subsection there you can also see some of the stuff I've provided for the MacGuffins website at mcguff.in slash author slash Cassidy, where you will also see the archives for this podcast. And while you're there, check out the other articles and reviews written by the MacGuffin staff. Um, you can follow me individually on Twitter at VC Cassidy. And Keith, what are your things? You can follow me at Keith Foster Kid on Twitter or Instagram, not Facebook. Fuck Facebook. Get off Facebook. Uh, you can check out my website, www.keithfosterkid.com, although there's not much up there right now. Um, hopefully I can add some of uh, what the kids call content. Uh, but, you know, if you want to get a hold of me for various things, that's a good way to do it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it for now. No big comedy shows coming up or anything like that? Wow, thanks for making it real, Cassidy. Uh, (laughs) No, I don't have anything on the calendar at the moment. Okay. All right. 
then, uh, yeah, that will be the show. There once was a guy named McSweeney who spilled some gin on his weenie. Just to be couth, he added vermouth and slipped his girl a martini. Problematic. I think that's problematic. <laughs> uh, right. w- would you prefer all flesh is grass? That's fine. Okay, bye.